bandwidth for the Weird Things podcast provided by Wired Tree. For sites of any size and world-class customer service, head on over to wiredtree.com. Hello and welcome to After Things. I'm Adrian Main, joined by Mr. Bryce Castillo. Hello. And Mr. Justin Robert Young. Hello. All right, guys, you were begging me to do this before, mm-hmm. so I will give you an update on my new book, which just launched this week. Yes, which... please. Hey! And thank you for the recommendations, by the way, on Weird Things. That was great. That meant a lot. Oh, oh. oh my God. Uh, so, uh, so I don't need them. I don't need them. You know why I don't need them? Because I had a great launch. Because you're number you one bestseller. Number one. So uh, Black Coral, which is a sequel to my book, The Girl Beneath the Sea, um, Two things, most important of all, they did the matte cover finish on this, but I think the printing is, they've perfected it now. I used to hate the matte finish because it was too powdery, but this is nice and smooth, and you actually want to rub it against your face, which I don't recommend with the ebook. Black Coral is a sequel, and my publisher is Thomas & Mercer, which is actually owned by Amazon. It's part of Amazon Publishing. This isn't the same as KDP, whatever. This is their whole real publishing house, and I've been doing several books through them, and it has been a wonderful, wonderful experience. They have been some authors who are more used to sort of traditional world have different, you know, expectations and stuff. For me, it's been great because most of my friends are ebook readers and they're really heavy into ebook, although they do print versions. The a part of releasing a book with them is and part of doing a book is, you know, I finish a book and they have they assign an editor to work with me to go through some of the notes. On, so I have an editor at Amazon and they hire they'll hire an outside editor freelancer. In this case, a guy named Ed Stackler, who's amazing. My editor at Amazon's Liz Pearson, who's wonderful, but Ed will go in and give me kind of like developmental notes and stuff on this, and Liz will give me that. And I go through and I work through a couple iterations with Ed, and then we have the finished, you know, semi-final product. And then it goes through copy of readers and then fact checkers, and there's a whole layer of the stuff there, but they keep you involved all throughout. You know, like I got like, hey, what do you they send me a questionnaire? What do you think about for the cover? What should the cover be like? Um, what do you think about uh, you know? What are your suggestions? And they send me cover samples and stuff, and I make notes about stuff and what I like. And so I have input on every single thing. They're going to, you know, have their, as publishers, they get to sort of handle kind of everything outside the text in the book. But Well, and we've talked about this show in years before, how you were handling a lot of that stuff yourself, right? In terms of like cover art, right? Like you were handling for for some of those, those books years ago. You would, you would do a lot of stuff I did. Yeah. Yeah. So I have, yeah, I have a pretty good, like, you know, I, I have, my own instincts on stuff and what I like, and they've done some really good stuff. And, you know, that cover they did for the naturalist was amazing and, you know, hard to top that, but I think they've done, done a really good job with like each series has its own look and feel to it, you Mm -hmm. know, between like these two books here. Yeah. So they also have a a publicist they hire that I work with, who in the case was Megan Beattie, who is doing that working internally with Amazon's publishing uh, it did a great job of getting me a lot of interviews and stuff on podcasts and other places. I don't know how much those move books. To be honest, I don't know that they don't. I don't know that they do. But I know that what helped was with the first book, Girl Beneath the Sea, that got selected as part of one of the Amazon Prime Reads of Selections of the Month, which was like one of seven or eight books that people, anybody who was an Amazon Prime member could download for free where you get a small amount of money for doing that, but what you get is you get a huge amount of people reading your book and reviewing it. And so that gave The Girl Beneath the Sea a huge launch. Girl Beneath the Sea came out in May, and it moved 100,000 copies wow. You know, outside of that, sold 100,000, which was insane. Mm-hmm. And this book 
has uh, the pre-sales for this were huge. And then this book had a great launch. And then as you saw, we're already up at 400 reviews. We're already, it's like right now it's number 50 on Amazon. It got up to like, you know, 30 or number 30 or something like that. So it's been a great launch all around. Yeah. That's insane. That's, that's great. And that, and that's so huge, especially when the first book has that, that a, obviously you have a larger install base for the sequel, but also, uh, uh people are able to pre-order these books as soon as they're done reading it, especially on the ebook side. Right. Yeah, absolutely. So it's, you know, we talk about, you have to think about things is not of one-offs, but everything is a series, everything's sequential. So uh, if you go click on that, notice it's number two in suspense action fiction. Bryce, go ahead and click on that to see what's number one. Sure, I'm going to click I just on. Got to see who my competition action is. Fiction. Yeah. Uh, number one is who's... the girl beneath the sea. Now that's from Andrew. That's from Andrew Maine. <laughs> oh yeah, that's right. I have the one and two spots now. Wow, uh, that. That's synergy, and that's like whether you're doing yeah. a podcast or something, you build up a body of work and you improve it over time. And where I started from my self-published books to these. I'd like to think my quality and consistency has gotten better with time. And now, you know, I, I'm still liable to make mistakes and stumble, but I try to learn from everything beforehand. But then if something like if somebody likes something, then you go look into the next thing and then you go look at the next thing that person's done. And that's what I've been trying to do is just build up an audience of people that see my name and say, okay, I'll buy this book and, you know, keep, you know, keep pursuing that. So that's been great. Side note, the one thing I did differently mm -hmm. was I was frustrated with MailChimp. I've talked about this before because I realized that like I don't I only advertise when I really have a book out. I don't really use it that much else. And MailChimp, it's comp, you know, to try to keep your books on there or keep your book, keep your subscribers on there. They double charge you if you, if you put them into multiple categories and stuff. They do a lot of stuff. I think it's kind of sketchy, to be honest with you. And I finally just said I'm done, and I took my entire mailing list off of Mailchimp. I'm like, I don't know what I'm going to do, but I just took it down because I was paying like 150 bucks a month. I'm like, I'm not yeah. getting much for that. So I'm like, what do I do? And then a week, two weeks prior, I'm like, well, I guess I'll upload it to Substack. I didn't even know how Substack worked. I mean, I knew people could subscribe, but I didn't realize I could put my book on sub. I could upload my subscribers to Substack. Yeah. So I uploaded my subscribers to Substack, and so I imported all of them from there, which allowed you to do. I'm like, cool. And then I changed on my website my sign-up to the Substack sign-up. And then come launch day, I'm like, can I just send out a post, like announce that I have a launch to all these people that normally I had to pay a lot of money to, you know, MailChimp to do? Why, well, yes, you can, Andrew. And boom, everybody from before, as far as I know, got notified about the new book. And then I also got feedback by people harding it and whatever. And yeah. you know, the open rate was great. It was like 20% or something, which is That's great, great considering. Uh, so Substack yeah. was a big win. I, I had that same um, experience a couple of weeks back. I don't know if I mentioned this, but I am I transitioned that Video Games with Bryce newsletter over to Substack. Um, yeah. And it was, it was very easy to bring in the subscribers. Um, it was, they have a way to bring in some of your previous posts from MailChimp, but that is... Um, not perfect. A lot of formatting stuff just doesn't uh, stick around. But uh, but I was surprised it brought in anything, and and it seems like yeah, you know, a lot of that is just because Mailchimp is so weird with their formatting. I mean, again, it's it's I don't want to make this a dump on Mailchimp segment, but well, let's like do it. Uh, 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 let's do it. They're we'll not it. they're not they're not built they're not built for what we want to do. We right. want to have an easy way to interact with an email audience, and what they want to do is have 
uh, uh, be a recurring uh, uh, expense for e-commerce. Yeah. Like, a comprehensive tool for e-commerce. Yeah, which is not what you and, need for and newsletter. I, and I, I, I would, I would, I would, I would even. <laughs> I don't even know how much it is that right. Mm -hmm. Like I, I think that certainly all their tools are built with that in mind. I don't know if they get there, but then again, I don't run an e-commerce thing. And also, you know, I think once you are dealing with that kind of money, um, and and that relationship, any kind of change in that relationship is something that you are hesitant to make. And I can I can understand that. So, uh, yeah, I I, I think that that is. That's where they want to go. Substack, by the way, I still think is kind of an imperfect fit for for what I want to do because by and large, they want me to do exclusive content. They make money on exclusive content or they make when money you do a paid my, subscription. Yes. Or or do that, having that be the thing to drive, you know, your interaction with the audience. And uh, right as of now, I don't. I I send five emails a week that are free. Um, and each time I do it, I have to go through a process that default is sending it exclusive, right? Uh, of whenever people sign up, they are given a, a option to pay, right? It, it's not immediately, uh, obvious, you know, that, that there is a comprehensive free option or that, uh, uh the free option is, is the default. So hmm. I, I think that that Substack is something that right now is the greatest tool that I have used in terms of creating emails and sending it. Uh, I, I applaud them for not having hard barriers like Mailchimp does in terms of uh, punishing me for monthly for having an, an audience of a certain level if I'm not immediately monetizing it. I've certainly made you know the the difference between spending a hundred dollars a month on Mailchimp and making uh, the couple hundred dollars that I've made on Substack is is obviously tremendous, right? That's that that's great. Um, but yeah, I, I I'm I'm very happy with where I'm at. I think I think Substack, like yeah, I don't I use it just because I wanted a free email service and I wanted to do this. And the problem is that like there are kind of two kinds of emails. There's the ones you want to get, and there's the ones like okay, you'll tolerate. And marketing emails tend to be more I'll tolerate mine, but there are people who will sell me stuff, but they're infrequent about it. And I like to get it like, oh, somebody's got something cool and it's it's informative. Yeah. Uh, and I think that MailChimp doesn't cater to that at all. And, you know, they treat everything like, well, is that avoid getting spam? Don't want to spam. Don't want to spam. I'm like, no, I just want to reach the people that want to hear from me. I don't want to. I don't want somebody doesn't want me to you know hear from me. I don't I'm not trying to be too noisy. But I think that with the subscription thing, that is exciting because. I could see authors starting, and maybe it's probably, I'm going to say could see, it's probably being done, authors creating exclusive stories and serializations and stuff and using that as a platform to do it for any kind of print content and you start expanding what that means, I think it could be a great, great, like if I wasn't pursuing a lot of what I'm doing, like I could see all the stuff I'm doing in AI and stuff and interesting you know things there. Like I could see, I could, I could publish a thing of techniques. If I were a magician, I could do a virtual magic, you know, yeah, magazine of teaching people magic and stuff through there. There's, it's such a great platform. It's so simple, which I love. It's, it's great. I mean, I am all in on 2021 being the, 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 the paywalls I want to cross are for emails. Like I, I subscribe to 
uh, two of them, one a political one, one a, uh, uh, well, I guess they're both political, but uh, I, I, I'm very happy. The money I, I spend, I feel great about. The content I get, I love. Uh, uh, it is direct to me. It is without a filter. I'm not worried about missing it. Uh, uh, thus far, we have yet to have some of the problems that, uh, you know, uh, Patreon has kind of gotten into. It seems like Substack is primarily focused on being uh, a little bit more of a, 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 a boring platform and not an identity that the, the only hill that they seem to want to die on is uh, that, that the old rules of journalism are, are dying for which I'm, I have been on, on that train since, you know, the turn of the century. Um, so uh, I, I, I am, I am all in. I love what they're doing. I love the, the the careers that they are emboldening. I am I'm spending more time in email. If anything, like at this point, I feel like I'm ready for another iteration of email that prioritizes uh, these subscriptions that I have, so I can I can enjoy them in in a way that I that I used to with an RSS feed because that's what it has kind of. Uh, uh, become for me well you know i was just thinking like the the kind of the trick of substack is that it is a blog disguised as a newsletter uh right like every all your substacks when you yes. when you make them right not the only the energy the energy of what is happening right now is email reminds me so much of when blogging was exciting well and and you know that's how it's presented outside of your inbox is yeah you know as posts right you can even go in and edit posts and you know i i clicked on the stats page and the top graph there's not a lot of statistics that you get which i think is kind of a downside for Substack is uh how many hits are you getting like how many hits yeah. are you are you seeing and and you know whether that's coming to your inbox or or to the website you know that is that is more of a blog thing I mean, they, they'll tell you your open rate too, which is a you know a, an email specific thing. Um, I I wonder if if a next thing for Substack is you know for the user a Substack umbrella, and here are all of your posts from all of your Substacks that you're following and subscribed to. I could I could Maybe. see something like that where it's like. It taking kind of like you mentioned, like uh, taking on RSS. Here is the new RSS, and it's through Substack. I can, I could see that. I, I think that would be maybe not great if it didn't also incorporate a real RSS, you know, catcher in it. But um, I, I think that could be a. Next I mean, step. I, I think, I think that right now they're they're just in a great position. The, the 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 people that have found it are the right kind of people in terms of creating the right kind of content. The energy in the writing is palpable. It is, it is like, again, there was this moment in blogging in the early aughts that everybody was taking chances. Uh, uh, people were kind of writing very much to their passion. And there was this concept that we will sack the kingdom and uh, 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 we will be the new rulers. And it's like, like, like many revolutions the end result, <laughs> even if they're successful, is far different than the idealized versions of, the, of those initial rallies. Uh, and and what we have now is this bizarre wasteland of like, you know, the, the legacy and remnants of old media uh, mixed with the the worst elements of what happened from the blogging revolution. And it's like now the idea that 
without gatekeepers. I know every uh, uh, every time that this person who I care about has something to say, it's going to find me. A couple of people have said it did not find them. So I would say anybody who says that you didn't get Justin on my Substack, do us a favor. Take a look and see if it ended up in your spam. Yeah, in the spam menu. folder. Yeah. Or promotions I mean, obviously in Gmail. You- that that that's the other the other big thing is especially if you use Gmail that uh, some of them find their way into promotions, uh, especially with ones that with emails that I that come as fast or as as frequent as like mine do, which are five days a week. Uh, it can be tricky because some people. I mean, and I got a pretty high open rate. Like I got mm-hmm. a, a a fifty plus open rate Ooh. on. I was my, I was about uh, to brag about mine because I I get about uh, like my last one had about forty one percent. Look at that. Yeah, like uh, uh, I'm I'm happy with it, but some of them, uh, uh, yeah. But and again, that's that's an email sorting problem. Like like and and you don't have that problem if there's a if there's a Substack reader, right? Well, or no, I just want I, Gmail. Gmail right now has like uh uh promotions which is like their version of like you know spam plus like inbox and whatever social and it's like if if you could redo that and just give me newsletters give me a newsletter thing mm. or or don't just green light all the substack stuff just don't i don't ever want i like there's not going to be anything that comes from substack that i don't want to read that i haven't intentionally done like if i could just whitelist all that, or I could make it easy for the, for, for for listeners or readers to to whitelist that kind of stuff. Boy, howdy, would I love it! I uh, yeah. if you're a listener, I I don't know. I'm assuming you can still do this, but I know when I was still using Gmail as my mail, uh, my daily mail client, I had turned all of those things off. I hated the exact thing that we're describing: having important things go up in promotions and then I never see them, or social things end up in a weird. Like I I I I have had, had had that stuff off for a really long time, but it is still a, it's still a pit that a lot of stuff falls into because it's kind of a default thing. Um, and that's, you know, we, we talked about, Hey, that the Hey email before. And what I yeah. really enjoy about that is that I can say, okay, Hey, you know, uh, Andrew, uh, Andrew Substack stuff. Okay. Those are going to go into my feed where all of the, you know, promotional things end up and they end up in kind of a big viewable list of things or, you know, you 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 decide where that stuff goes. You're not hoping that Gmail. Figures I mean, it look, out. I think we we've been trying to solve email for as long as we've had email, right? And and uh, ultimately, where I feel like 2021's energy is leading us toward is uh, email is is like the most viable, uh, important uh, uh, thing that we have on the internet in a world where all of these other communities that we've started have kind of uh, uh, twisted into things that we are either comfortable or not comfortable with. There's old email, like just, I, just sitting there. And I, that's like the reasons I just like reiterate this. Like I love Substack. It's very like, and there are a lot of features I could add, but like, I love that it's simple. It does a thing. Hey, send free email. Great. Or pay a monthly fee and get these messages. It, that's just it's simple and that's that's a huge platform the potential for that is enormous and it's yeah it's why media is scared uh we got a couple questions that came in there somebody had asked me how many hours of research do i do for my books mm. and it's a very good question because there's two ways to look at it uh i will tell you a secret and that is 
if you want to write a book, just think of all the interesting things you know, draw circles around them, and try to fit them into a book. When you read the book and you follow the course of the story, you're like, oh, wow, how do they know this and this, this? Well, stuff I already knew. I didn't research it. I just took things I knew. I don't write books. I don't write, uh, although one of my books, a couple of them have been considered medical thrillers. I don't really write medical thrillers because I'm not qualified or smart enough to write that. I don't write historical books because I don't know enough about any particular period in history to write competent about that. I love... Uh, I love science. I love biology. I love artificial intelligence. I love those things. I'm a scuba diver. I go diving. I can write books about that. So, you know, that's what I do is I sort of just take the stuff I already know and write around it. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's for, 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 you know, any project, whether it's writing or, or whatnot, you, you, ha you have to play to your strengths, right? Um, you know, the things that you are most knowledgeable about, most passionate about, those are at least a good a good starting point in terms of uh, where to draw inspiration, right? People can tell when something is not just like smart or accurate, but when you are impassioned about something, when it's uh, when it's when it's when you're inspired. Um, I think that's such a big part of any creative work. And, and a lot of that comes out in your writing, Andrew. And it's crazy where it will take you, though. So, like, when I started writing The Naturalist, I was just beginning to take artificial intelligence and machine learning seriously and just starting to learn it, which is just a few years ago that first book came out. And by the time I was writing the fifth book in the series, uh, I had to take a break because I was working with OpenAI on helping them, you know, uh, develop some of the methods for using gpt3 and you know, doing that and it's just kind of because i just learned enough and got to the point where all of a sudden as a person who's got an interest in words and artificial intelligence had a way to contribute to this very exciting thing and that started because i started writing about it in a book and i got interested in it and then that's just all my, my brain became more attuned to looking for things about that and the next thing you know that happens there i wrote girl beneath the sea and i was thinking a lot about sharks and underwater stuff and all of this and then next thing you know i'm on the discovery channel surrounded by great white sharks mm -hmm. so these things you can you follow your path but then as you start writing more about it you'll become more knowledgeable so be careful what you get into <laughs> so my advice is we talk about this again but like start that email list early started early my my lessons i've learned from my books too is it's not enough to say you know oh i spent 10 years doing this it's like like i often meet people like i've been doing this for 10 years i'm like yeah but if you're doing it the wrong way it doesn't make a difference it, it doesn't and we confuse time spent versus lessons learned and sometimes there's a correlation sometimes there's not sometimes somebody can go in and pick something up very very quickly because they know how to learn. And I'll give you an example. So I've been working on a little side project, a little software thing. I'm always working on something. And I have a server where I've got to get, I'm using not a server, but I'm using cloud functions, which is basically a way to have functions run in the cloud. But every time I got to upload them, it takes me three or four minutes to get them uploaded. So I have it, I'm like, I need to test this. And there's a way to test it locally, but I was doing something funky where I had to run on a server. So I have to test it, click send, and now I've got to wait four minutes before I can see if it worked. And that means that if I've got to make 50 to, 60, 50 to 60 changes, at least, you add up that amount of time. And that is how much time that is lost because it takes so long to get a feedback. So you know, if, had I been running it all locally, 
it would have taken me two or three hours, but because I'm having to wait four minutes every time I need to change, look for a change or something, it takes me two days. Wow. And life can yeah. be like that. We, if you, one, if you're not even learning the lessons, you'll never learn. If the lessons come too slowly, then it takes forever to learn. It's why they tell startups, get your product out there fast. It's not to be first to market. It's first to learn. It's to get out there and yeah. experience. So you want to have those feedback cycles. I was, you know, my first year writing, I wrote, you know, I've talked to this before. I wrote 10 books. Why did I write 10 books? Because like I wanted to get to where I felt really comfortable as a writer. And most writers might write a book a year. I'm like, well, I'm going to do this in 12 months. So by the end of that year, not to say, oh, I'm as good as somebody been writing for 10 years. No, but I was a hell of a lot further along than an author that been only writing for months. I think, I think something that uh, uh, really stuck with me was, uh, uh, yeah, I think it was Robert Rodriguez who said that every filmmaker has like eight or 12 crappy movies in them. And, <laughs> and the faster you get them out, the better. Like, just go. Just go, make stuff. Uh, uh, and, and while Robert Rodriguez, I think, is an ideal person to listen to when you're getting started, maybe not the best at how to evolve <laughs> past that. But like... Uh, I think that that's true. Like, go, go, go. I mean, like the, uh, the biggest thing with the podcast stuff that I've, that I've worked on the, the scripted stuff, the, the thing that I realized was it's gotta be closer to the final form faster. Like it's mm -hmm. gotta be a, sh a, 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 a poopy podcast. <laughs> um, and that finding the crap podcast and circling what sucks, what sucks, what sucks, what's good like is so much more effective than rewriting a script 50 times and finding yeah. like, like it, like it just get to that form, get to that thing. And then God, does your brain just, it, it will, it will find the, the value. You'll be attracted to the value. You will, you will be naturally repelling against the weaknesses. And like, that's that to me has become the killer instinct that is is progress that is progress that's the process of quality so two things one is uh the idea of fail early fail fast and fail cheaply right because yeah. that is critical is that is that when we made justin helped me make my first like film i wanted to make a film and i remember reading Rob rodriguez and he made a point about like you know why people spend more money than they should and I noticed a thing on every amateur filmmaking book, if you try to figure out what it cost to make a movie back in the late 90s, early 2000s, the number, the magic number was $30,000. $30,000 was what like low-end indie feature film budgets were. And I was like, well, that's weird. Like why? Because I couldn't find a correlation because even, in the, even you know, you could figure out if you're shooting on 16 millimeter and you're being strict about it, it maybe cost you $7,000 to do that. I'm like, why is that? Well, if you find out, like, if you look at the median age of, like, an indie filmmaker at that point was 26, 27 years old, that was the total amount that they could borrow on credit. That was their credit card limit. Mm, and so what yeah. they did is they spent up to their credit card limit on their first film. And I thought that's a huge mistake because the chances are your first film is going to suck but will be a huge learning experience. And if you win 30, if you finish your film and you hate it and you're $30,000 in debt, you are not excited about being a filmmaker. No. You, 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 you are one going to give up, but if you finish your first film and you're debt free, you're excited about doing your next film. Cause you're like, Oh my God, I learned so much. 
And I see this mistake made a lot. People launch businesses and launch stuff that like, no, you're going to learn a lot from this. But statistically speaking, you're going to be broke at the end of it doing this way. And you're never going to want to do it again. Figure out a way to get all that learning and not go broke, not go do that. That is super, super, super critical. Like, no, but I really believe in myself. Well, you're delusional. You're a crazy person. And and, and it's, you know, just to make it abundantly clear, you have to call it quits. When, sometimes you're going to have to call it quits before you're done. Sometimes if you see that it's not working and it's getting expensive, it's ballooning, you can't like it, the sunk cost fallacy is real and people get into uh, really precarious situations because they keep putting good money after bad. And, and yeah. you know, you have to be open to like, OK, you know what? We tried it. It's not going to work out. Let's go on to the next thing so that you don't, you know, ruin your life trying to make dog vests work dog vests are not going to work mark i had I, you know when after i did my first film then i was going to go do a second one i had this idea for an action movie and we had a really crazy violent plot line and then 9 11 happened and so then we changed that and i rented an apartment i rented a house to shoot at i had an actor lined up whatever and two days in the actor wasn't memorizing his lines I wasn't fully into it. And I already spent a couple thousand dollars and I'm like, this is not going to get better. It's not going to get better. This is, and I canceled, canceled it. And I had people upset with me. I'm like, I could, I could keep this going, you know, for several more weeks and shoot something that we're not going to be happy with. And it's all on me. It's not on the actor. It was all on me, you know, for just the way things turned out. But I'm like, I better stop this now. And that was hard because I already spent money, you know, Mm -hmm. I'd spent money renting a house and doing this stuff. But I was just like, no, I'm rushing this too fast. The script's not where it needs to be. There's not enough prep time. I was excited about what happened to the last project. I learned so much, but I've got to say, no, kill this now before you know that. But you have to, unless there's a financial cost though, and you are learning, I'm like, you do got to learn to stick with it because like success is like success is waiting for everybody else to give up in many cases. Yes. And and, yeah. and you know, that's like, you know, my girlfriend is at film school, it's like everybody else wants to be a director. I'm like, see what they want to be a year from now. See what's going to happen yeah. two years from now. See how many stay by it. The other thing to think about, and a way to sort of is sometimes you have to understand why you do a thing. You say, I want to do this because I want to feel good about myself. That is the wrong reason. If you say, I want to do this because I want to make a thing that then makes me feel good about myself, that's a good reason. You have to have that thing first to say, I want to make a thing that's good so then I feel good. If it's just like, I want to do a podcast so people tell me they love me and they like me, they're probably not going to. If you're yeah. like, I want to go do a podcast that's really good and people like me because of that, better. And I, and I would say the final form of that is find a process that makes you happy. Mm-hmm. Or, or like if you can find the process that makes you happy, that's that's where the real work is. Like that's where, you know, there, there's a thing that I'm working on now that like, and I've it's it, it, it's a process that, I've I've had a couple times where I have a, have a first draft of something and I'm I'm at the point where I'm making it and I'm like this blows. This is terrible. <laughs> and it's and it's only that much worse because the thing I did before was good. This finished product that I have is good and I know it's good. It's it's awesome. Uh and then you know, it does suck and you listen to it and it's garbage. And then you're like, oh, but if we focused on that and we cut that and we reorganized it here 
And then it's like, well, it's better than trash. It's definitely going to be a crappier version of this thing I had before. And then it got better and it got better and it got better and it got better. And the process got easier and more fun and more rewarding. The more I went, you know, to understand that there's this bottoming out period at the beginning, at least for me. And then it got better and better and better and better and better and better and better. And if I can keep myself in good spirits and if I can focus on what, you know, the, the core of the project is, what makes the project good, then it will, that that's a process that I can repeat uh, it, to the point where now, you know, I, you know, we, we're restarting everything again and it's like, Oh, this sucks. But now I'm not looking at it as like, Oh, that's a judgment on me. It's like, aha, we're at the sucky part now. <laughs> Look at that. Oh, it's, it sucks. Like, this is great. Like, let's, let's, you know, let's dive in. Yeah. When you, you have the tools. So there is a parallel sort of thing where, Justin started out podcasting and myself with writing books, and we both were helpful to each other to a point. And I would say I was helpful to Justin a little bit early on, and then he had his own steam. But early on, it was like we'd record a thing, and then we'd tear it apart. And and I don't think I yeah. ever told him anything he didn't already know. I just sort of amplified it and said, you know, yeah, that little voice you're ignoring, it's right. And that's sometimes what needs to happen. But, you know, we listened to our model was Buzz Out Loud with Tom Merritt, mm -hmm. Molly Wood, and Veronica Belmont. And before we even knew them, we were like, oh, you know, these guys do a great product. Let's listen to this. And so we'd record a thing and then we'd redo the same thing over and over again. And it was annoying as all hell. But I knew from magic and other stuff like where you, you the early phase is not not you is to say, this is what needs attention. This thing, you know, there's a lot of things need attention, but if you put attention on these things, everything else will slowly get better. And then Justin very quickly, you know, on his own steam did that with my books. Justin gave me great feedback. Very, very helpful. And I don't send him my books now because it's a lot to ask and they're big, huge books and stuff, but I have Justin's voice in my head now. So when I write a book and I go to the review and we're playing it, I'm like, ah, there's a little Justin here. What about those? What about those? What about this? And so eventually these things, your process gets simpler. Like Justin said, like I got a book due very, very soon. Like technically like within a week, hmm. I haven't even written an outline or even know what the plot is. Wow. Uh, this is all, so, by the way, this is all a joke. Uh, just publishers yeah, and others here listening. Yeah, this is all a joke. Thomas and Mercer, please <laughs> tune out. Oh no, not that book. This is some other book. This is oh, that the yeah, other book. Yeah, 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 obviously. Yeah. Uh, now, I know, and I'm not, I don't believe in like, I, oh, I always wait to last minute and do my best work. Like, no, the best work you've ever done has been last minute, but that is not your best work. Your best yeah. work is um, having a methodical, good approach towards it. Your best work is when you're focused, and the only time some people are focused is last minute. For me, I know the process, and I know that like I have to focus on one thing at a time. I'm very sequential, but when I focus on one thing, I am 100%. I am 100% focused, and so my tendency is like, do all the other stuff I want to do. And then when it's time to write that book, that's all I'm going to do is I'm going to write the book and become, you know, a recluse. Uh, but I've learned enough now, knock on wood, I hope the book doesn't suck, but I've learned enough now to know like, okay, I don't know how, this is what I do to focus the plot. This is what I do to figure out the, the beats. This is what I do to focus the outline. This is the mission statement. This is how I know where to go. This is how I break it down. I have so much of that now that it's less, I say it's less stressful right now, but we'll see. Well, I mean, it, you have to go into the chrysalis and, and, you know, form 
everything again, right? But but the 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 difference is the lessons that you learn are like you you've you've kind of brought the the commandments down from Mount Sinai. <laughs> like you yeah. know the like thou shalts and you have faith in the process uh uh that if you follow these tenets by the end you're going to have something that you are proud of. And and that's that to me it's like you want to really distill what experience is, what good experience is, that's what it is. That's and that's like God, that's stuff that I think between Andrew and I in 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 our or, you know making stuff like that's the stuff that I know the most and and you know I, I think for both of us the biggest lesson because we've got I will say charitably scattered minds at times <laughs> like you know with that that have a, a lot of really cool ideas and we want to make really cool ideas and we both love facts and 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 cool discoveries and and I think that that's a, a, a both of our tendencies are like when we're at our most scattershot it's because we keep wanting to staple cool things onto an idea and so the clarifying tenant is like what is this about what is this about and that's something that I know I've talked Andrew and I've talked about with writing it is a massive thing for me with podcasting I think it is a, a, an essential storytelling concept for any kind of narrative anything but it's like as soon as you dial into this is about this then that means now what was a distracting element of oh i want to staple all these things now you know like oh okay well i have to remove that but not all of it because there's a really cool element that that was that was really my instinct of what i wanted to include that and and actually i can make it better if it serves this other part and it's like those knowing those things and knowing that those things have resulted in good product like god that's experience that that is of the biggest it's huge there's no pressure to uh like pre-selling a book that you haven't finished yet and if and, someone did that it would it would be a wholly different oh thing my God, even yeah yeah that'd be crazy <laughs> crazy if somebody it's, did that hypothetically the... having it already be on the bestsellers list okay all right well then let's <laughs> let's we we all right we're gonna you end hear this that now. frida mcfadden <laughs> I know. Yeah. I'm sorry. I'm uh, getting, I'm getting, I'm getting text messages from, from both Thomas and Mercer that uh, we're, we need to end this. So Andrew no, can uh, get to writing. This other thing. It's a totally the cookbook, different the cookbook. Thing. The cookbook. Yeah. Yeah. It's, a, yeah. it's a totally different thing. It's yeah. It's this, uh, you know, um, how to eat healthy by eating whale. Book. <laughs> um, uh, <laughs> But there is that there is a difference. And again, this is not a woe is me. Um, mm -hmm. When you write for fun and you have your own schedule, it's one thing. It's another thing when you're part of a machine. And, yeah. you know, and, and the thing, too, is like, I'm glad I'm writing a book at this point because the reviews from the last one kind of help out. You sort of see what people focused on, and what people really like. Uh, but then there's also the pressure when the last thing people really, really liked it. And you're still like. What am I doing? It's why sequels often suck because you don't know. Like, you know, you what watch Karate Kid work? and you watch Karate Kid 2. You're like, man, they really didn't know what Karate Kid 1 was about. And you watch Karate Kid 3, like, 
man, they thought they knew what it's about. They really don't know what it's about. They really don't, yeah. And I would say if you are someone who is doing something for yourself right now, if you're still in that early phase where you're trying to to get started, a way to uh, kind of inoculate yourself to that in some sense would be to, you know, give yourself deadlines and give yourself hard deadlines and cutoff points. Hey, I need to get this done by Thursday. And if I don't, then I need to start again or I need to start a new thing. I need to get into you know, getting stuff done in a certain amount of time because, I mean, even, you know, Andrew, right? Like you've got a lot of leeway in the point where you're at in this book, hypothetically. Um, but at the end of the day, you're other, you still have to, you still have these posts that you have to hit. That's your responsibility. That's, that's, that's one thing that as part of being, you know, a partner with these other people that you're working on, you have to be able to deliver, um, you know, on a Can certain I, time or, a, you know, of a certain length or quality. Let me, let me amplify and tweak that. Okay. Deadlines. I would tell people, I would advise people, unless you like literally have like, I got to pay my bill by the end of this month. Those are real deadlines. I would say the thing to commit to is time spent is mm. to say tomorrow I will spend two hours doing blank. Because I see this, I see this with myself, I see this with my girlfriend, where it's like, oh, I set this deadline to do this. I'm like, well, how do you know how much time it's going to take? How much? How do you know what time it's going to happen? How do you know what life's going to happen? Or there's all these other things that come in, like life interferes. And so I think deadlines are bad because we're always going to, we're always, we can't predict where things are going to be. But we can say tomorrow, like when I'm under a real crunch, the thing I do, I try to write leisurely how I feel. But when I'm on a real, real time crunch, I tell myself, first four hours of the day belong to the book. No RSS yeah. feeds, no mm-hmm. no phone calls, no Twitter, no nothing. I will get up. I will get something to eat. I won't even check my email. Um, I might have to check it for reports, but like the, other than that, I will check it once, take care of whatever I need to do. Then I will sit down for four hours and I will write and I will get it done. And then I'll take a break and, you know, make notes or something, but I will spend four hours doing that and things will get done. Things will get done magically. When I'm on a real strict deadline, but... I advise just say I will spend X amount of hours tomorrow doing this or X amount of hours doing that because let's say you know you're writing a book and all of a sudden you realize you're writing something a time travel story and you find out about this amazing story about you know some medieval battle well shoot maybe I need to go read the book on that well I'm going to read the book and now I'm going to be three days behind and then you're going to miss your deadline but if you say oh, I'm spending three hours or four hours a day working on my book and you say okay well I'll either read it within that time frame or this. It's better. Systems are better than deadlines and, and just allotting time. I will do blank. I I still think there's at some point a sense, at least soft deadlines. That, like, like I think you're right, Andrew, in that you should build up a sense of how long it takes you to do things. I think that is something that uh, is a question that really throws people for a loop when it's like, okay, hey, I want to, I want you to do this. When can you have it by? And if you don't know... No, there's, like I said, I started saying they're real deadlines. I said they're real deadlines, like bill dates and stuff. But I'm saying like when it's uh-huh. slightly open-ended. Well, you... let, me, let, me, let me finish. Let me finish. Yeah. Let me, like, I, I agree. Like, I think that you do, you you that that is what I, I guess what I'm saying about giving yourself your own internal deadlines, even if they're soft, is to get a sense of how long it's going to take you to get something done, whether it's in, you know, total hours spent, whether that's in how many days it realistically takes you among 
other things that you're doing. I think I think we're 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 not too too far off here. Yeah, I I would just say that most people have no idea. Most right. people who I know who struggle with deadlines have no effing idea how long a thing will take. And I see people get frustrated and depressed because why well, set a deadline? Well, deadline's not a spell. It's not a magic spell that gets things done. Time spent is what gets it done. And when you set a deadline, if you have a really good idea how much time it'll take, yeah, deadlines are great. And I can, you know, I know uh, I have, I work with deadlines all the time. Uh, I, I, know. I think it's different for different people. I think some people will yeah. find the, find a different way because I, you know, uh, we have lots of deadlines here with, with when shows should start and when's video, when videos should come out. And, and I know for me, it, it's, it's, it's very helpful to know when the deadline is because yeah, but you're, otherwise, you're talking about, you're, you're, you're talking about a train. You're talking about a schedule where you know what you're doing there. I'm talking about like, if you if you said yeah. how long how long did Brian spend planning Modern Rogue? He spent a long time. He mm-hmm. didn't say, oh, in two weeks I'm going to have this thing done. He had to figure out how much time it takes to get things done. I'm talking for people at the start. Somebody's never written a book before. Somebody's never done a podcast before. They uh, it, it's to say have a deadline to me is like focus more on time spent. I yeah I think yeah. The, the, the biggest key here is understanding whether or not a deadline or deadlines in general are, to me, they are disciplines. They are not necessarily motivators. Like it is, it is good to know, uh, uh, okay, well, I want something. I want some minimum viable product by this time. But then again, it's like if, if you are setting unrealistic versions of this because you imagine that there's going to be some otherworldly motivation that will course through you and that's what's stopping you from getting to the end uh i think oftentimes that can be something that uh uh, doesn't a produce the best work or really to go back to the idea of getting yourself into debt uh can be discouraging and if if the point of this is protect your you are an engine right protect your engine of, of being able to produce stuff, then, you know, uh, undue debt, uh, repeated self devaluation. These are corrosive elements that I think bring you further away from your engine humming at, at optimum precision. I have, I have a deadline for my book. I cannot get around that. That book is due on that deadline. And that is, that's a real deadline, but my, my way to get that done is I say, how many, I know now how many hours spent mm-hmm. and I know how many hours spent. And so that's how I define, like I know X amount of hours per day equal book done at this point. And that's from experience over time. When I first started writing, I would try to, I would say, how much writing can I get done in a week? I would try, I would use deadlines to see more of the measure to see sure. how much I can get done. Yeah. And I, I just say, my, I guess my I, advice I'm is not, just and, to, and I, I'm just saying, I, I'm just putting out there that you, you need to get to a point where you can get that. Maybe, yes. maybe it's not at the beginning, but that I'm I, I don't think we're saying really any really very different here. I just want to, you know, it, you're right. Like, yes, you're, you're right here, <laughs> you know, uh, but you want to get to a point where you can work within deadlines. You can't get to a point where you're going to spend a million hours on something just to get Agreed. it to the right thing here. So uh, I, if I couldn't work in the deadline, I wouldn't have a career. Uh, my publishers would have fired me and there would be, you know, I'd be living at your place, Bryce. Um, <laughs> it, it, it's, it's, that's Probably would have made for a warmer real. living room. <laughs> and that's what I was saying before earlier was that like when I started off writing, I didn't have to deal with those. And now I have to deal with those deadlines. But the way I deal with them, though, is still I'm going to spend four hours a day on this. and I'll spend four hours a day on this. And then if I'm getting closer and I'm screwed, I will increase the amount of time I spend and, and get it done. But from a, I say just from a particularly people starting out from a stress point of view, mm. 
focus on time spent. Focus on time spent because you will feel better. You will not feel crappy about yourself. You won't feel horrible that you missed this thing because like we, when people set unrealistic deadlines and they feel all you know is failure because of unrealistic, it demoralizes you. But when you said, yeah, I spent three hours today, like legit, it was three hours writing. I got three hours writing done today, three todays. Holy crap, things happen fast. We agree, everybody. <laughs> Indeed. Bryce, I can only imagine the number of deadlines, Bryce. Like, Bryce, you, your life is a nightmare for me. <laughs> well, it's, you know, um, and it's again, it's, it's a similar thing, right? I've got processes for all of these different shows. And so, um, you know, I have a sense of when I need to be there's in the a, right place and stuff. And, and that, that's, there's a, a reason why you're in this job too. <laughs> the way you arrive, no, the way you are wired, you understand that? Like the way Bryce's brain works, you can handle this. You're able to do, you've got a spreadsheet in your head or sense of, you know, ability to comprehend that too, Yeah, which I envy. It's, it's, um, it, it's, it, it, it's building the process and building up the habits and, and, um, and it, it will be different for different people. You know, some people are motivated by the deadline. That That's, you know, uh, you know, some of the video stuff, you know, we do the live streams and live streams kind of should start right about the right time. The videos, they got a, they got a day that they should go out, but really you got to get it done. And if there wasn't the deadline, then it would be later. It would be slower and it would probably be the same product. So, um, you know, I, I know we, uh, like Brant, one of our other producers here, like he, he said before, you know, like if he had unlimited time to work on videos, he would spend it. If it's polishing, researching, adding stuff into it. Um, but there is a balance there between perfection and delivery. And um, for, for me, and I'm sure for, for a lot of people, de deadlines are an organizational structure, but that again, that's a lot. And there are people out there who will give themselves the deadlines and put themselves under a lot of pressure um, that is unnecessary for a soft or, you know, a deadline for yourself. So don't, definitely don't do that. Don't burn yourself out before you begin. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's the, the real learning starts after the calluses are formed. All right. Picks. Ooh, picks. Um, <laughs> uh, you know what, uh, this, uh, this, uh, I'm saying this pick. This is a this is this is fine theater. This is theater that you if you watch enough of it, you are going to get some things out of it. Um, but a lot of the times this is entertainment or a talk show. Um, but one of the things that I was doing a lot during the freeze was, you know, I was watching TV and I wanted something that wasn't about, you know, disasters or the end of the world or people dying and stuff like that. So uh, one really quick fix for drama uh, was the ABC uh, unscripted reality show Shark Tank. Um, Shark Tank is neat. Uh, people go on and they uh, uh, pitch uh, these kind of now celebrity investors hey i've got an idea and here's how much money i wouldn't like and how much equity i would give back and here's what i've got and when you binge watch that show you you get kind of in rapid pace uh all of the mistakes that people make and all of the things that if you're a creator presenting something to someone you're trying to sell something to what what those people need to know and where you kind of need to be at you also see a lot of the a lot of the strings and a lot of like oh well this 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 band is on here just so that there's a musical segment so that you can hear a little bit of music and have some entertainment. You know, uh, this guy with his 
uh, hurricane power plant is just kind of the wacko for the week. You know, you see some of those little bits and bobs, but but I, I think you you get some interesting business around. And it's this is Mark Burnett, so it's very like big reality show, you know, American reality show format. But you know, I think ultimately it's 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 interesting. And I think if you're listening to this show and you don't already know about it, there might be something uh, interesting to see here. You know, shows like that. And I remember when I was watching uh, that was the British version of Dragon's Den. It's interesting because you're watching expertise is hard being a financial expert's hard because you look at how many times like great businesses got turned down, whatever. And sometimes I'd be sort of skeptical, like, I don't know if they know. But then there is a value sometimes. Sometimes it can be helpful to say to point out when things are out really bad like really bad. But again, like you said, the show sort of stacked the deck with weirdos and stuff too. Yeah. But that can be helpful to sort of point out when you see them consistently say, no, this is a problem here. It's hard for an investor to be able to pick great. Nobody can spot great because great's kind of a thing that happens. But I do think that like, I remember, I don't know, Justin, if you remember, there's a thing that drove me nuts once. There was a restaurant when I worked for the James Randy Foundation over on Federal Highway, there was a lot that had been, I forget, a bunch of different little small like, uh, fast food places then one day a sign popped up because somebody was going to open up their own fast food place and it was not a chain it looked like somebody's you know somebody wanted to open up this business and like they want to do like hot dogs and whatever and we were cool like cool there's a new restaurant coming here except for the name and that was there for a couple months for like almost a year that this was coming soon this was coming soon and i'm like how in the process of naming did somebody point out to this person this is a really bad name there are names you go like, oh, I don't know if I get it, whatever. But then there are names where you're like, no, this is really a bad, this is a bad name. And you know, what's neat is like shows like this can point out like, hey, listen, this is, and sometimes, oh, that's what'll be the charm is the name so bad. Like maybe, or it'll work the opposite way. Yeah. You know, YouTube Red, what's wrong with YouTube Red? <laughs> well, it's got mm, some, it's got two, some mind share. Yeah, two of those words. Maybe you don't want to be associated with, and you know, somewhere, you know, there was an argument at YouTube about YouTube Red about people like, no, we can't call it this. Literally, like, and somebody's like, I've never heard of this. Nobody knows about this. You're a perverted, Joe. You know, and then a while later, like, oh, you know, we think we need to change a name. You know, and it's like stuff like that happens. So this restaurant duties. Oh, mm. can't be duties. Not when you're serving hot dogs. <laughs> No food, anything. I'm like, duties. are you kidding me? I'm like, is how is this it spelled? D D O O D I E. D O O D I E S. Oh no, you, you can't do I'm the like, real way either. Like, I think there may have been a duty there, and that was his nickname from childhood, and he Howdy loved his duty. nickname. And this was a dream was to open this restaurant. That I'm like, I'm not. If you like, my theory is this: if you don't know why that name is bad. I don't know what other bad judgment you have. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it did not last. It was over really? like weeks or month or something, and it shut down because it's like nobody wanted to eat at duties. <laughs> you guys want to go get some Starbucks? Duties? Yeah, it's a Starbucks. It does crazy good business. Yeah. I know. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and, and you know, kind of on the opposite side, uh, talking about how Shark Tank is theater, you know, the the people, the, the sharks on the show have come out and said, you know, like 20%, or more of the deals that we handshake agree on that show literally never happen. They never come through because the person pitching it in due diligence, we found out this was not right or whatever. And 
uh, you know, a lot of people just go on that show because a lot of people watch that show. And and if you've got a consumer good, then it's like, congrats. You just got however many millions of people watching. So like there, there's, there's a huge grain of salt to take with it. But I think I, I think if you walk away and go, oh, yeah, you know, maybe maybe, you know, this idea that I have is kind of segmenting the market down too, too far. Right. Uh, I, I think you can pull some some good ideas out of it. Mm hmm. Uh, well, hey, Bryce, a uh, uh, really nice pick. My pick is Black Coral oh, by Andrew what? Maine. Ah! You idiot. I'm so uh, dumb. I know. Yeah, a relentless nail biter, whether below or below the waterline. Even the setbacks are suspenseful, says Kirkus Reviews. Uh, and and uh, I couldn't recommend it more. The second in uh, the, the Sloan... Uh, a trilogy there so go get it right now andrew mains black coral get it thank you for that heartfelt endorsement justin <laughs> uh i my pick is this uh youtube channel like comic books in some ways are kind of like video games for me for some reason i almost enjoy more hearing people talk about them than actually like reading or playing them sometimes sometimes they're great comics or whatever but sometimes somebody can get so much more meaning out of something and go oh that's really cool there's a channel which I've been watching some videos on. I thought it was pretty cool. It's Comic Drake. So he's on YouTube and he does these sort of deep dives into different comic book characters and explaining stuff. Because uh, like many people, after the last episode of WandaVision, I was doing a deep dive into some obscure Marvel yeah. characters. That's pretty cool. So yeah. he talks about, uh, uh, is this all comic related stuff? Or is this, I guess some of this is, looks like news and... Uh, comic dives. books yeah. yeah check it out yeah so he'll he'll do he's doing some stuff about wandavision you know the uncanny marvel creepiness of a vision you know about that comic uh he get into did a whole thing on the on the marvel pinup comic book issues where during the 90s marvel did a run of comics that were pinups of marvel characters Ooh. yeah weird weird uh, time and i was i was writing that demo i don't know if i bought it but i was definitely right I, I was definitely marketed to for that <laughs> yeah I mean, She-Hulk is pretty high, let's just say it, you know. Uh, they had the dudes in there, too, so it wasn't one-sided, you know. Listen. Nope. Oh, good. No. Nope. Yeah. It was, uh, you know, uh, equally offensive to everybody, depending upon your exactly. sensibilities. Himbo, himbo Cyclops. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, there was, there's captions in there, too. Like, literally, they have, like, uh, uh, what's his face? Um, uh, uh, the Steel dude from the X-Men. Um, Magneto? Colossus, Colossus, sorry, Colossus, thank you, God, don't my brain. Like he's there, and they like ah, you know what? Uh, what he, what he saves on suntan? He's like laying out there, like what he saves on suntan lotion. He has to spend on steel polish or something. Oh and then God. they had like a, a <laughs> Punisher with a big skull codpiece. <laughs> weird, you know, weird times. When the Punisher goes the to the 90s. beach, he he puts you know a big ass skull codpiece on. Like, yeah. <laughs> Oh my gosh. Uh, Comic Drake, very cool. Awesome, I'll check that out. Gentlemen, it's been after. The Diamond Club hopes you have enjoyed this program. <laughs>